0: Welcome everybody to the Eyes on Big Podcast, go-to Big Ten
1: football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined as always by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter, Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you
0: so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Uh, for just one podcast, this will be the Jason Seahorn Stan
1: Podcast. I think that's that's the cool way. That's how the kids are saying. It, I still saying. don't know what that means, and I don't want to know. Don't explain it. I, I believe it has something to do with the uh, Eminem video. Stan, you know, like oh okay, because the guy like was a, obsessing on on Eminem. See. Okay, so it's someone that obsesses over. Okay, that makes sense. That's i I I. I believe I'm just hip enough to have accurately
0: broke that down, but I could be way off too. And I could it's be a deep cut though, isn't it? That's like a
1: 20 year old song.
0: Yeah. So I guess things that were cool in the late nineties, early two thousands uh, are still relevant. So that makes me feel nice and warm and fuzzy, but like um... us. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, so yeah, I will get to what I'm alluding to. Um, I am currently in uh, Dickinson, North uh, Dakota right now. Uh, because that's essentially the halfway point between Big Sky and Minnesota. Um, I was in Big Sky for work, uh, or in Montana, I should say, all over Montana for work earlier in the week. And then the uh, wife and, and two young boys flew out. I met them in uh, Bozeman, and then we uh, drove down to Big Sky. We were there for five days, and uh, holy cow, what a great vacation. Um I still got the vacation high going on. Anybody that has the means and schedule to get out
1: to Big Sky, Montana, uh, I, Jeffrey the Greek, fully recommend that you do so. Yeah, two years ago, I vacationed in Montana in the summertime, but in different part of the state, up in Whitefish, way northwest. Okay. Which yeah. was beautiful. I
0: loved it. I, I mean, they're just, as far as I can tell, there isn't a part of Montana that isn't beautiful. Um, the crazy thing is I'm watching this uh, Celebrity Golf Uh, tournament or match, if you will. Uh, Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau taking on Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, your boy Aaron Rodgers. Um, and I thought I
1: didn't think that's how the teams went though. I thought it was, oh, it's yeah, I said that wrong. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's it's um, because DeChambeau is paired up with a with Rodgers, yeah, yeah. I was
0: watching a little bit of it, it was pretty entertaining, actually. I got vacation brain. This could be a we could be on the struggle bus here trying to record this, but yeah, yeah. um, I, I. It's easy to dislike Bryson DeChambeau, but that's a that's a whole other story. But anyways, where they're doing this little celebrity pro am, it was like a a ten minute drive from where Mrs. Greek and I were staying. Um, I had, and it's just it's a cool uh, atmosphere there. Like they totally cater towards uh, you know people coming in visit and spending money. So I'm like, well, can I just drive up and see the course? And and the one guy's like,
1: you're not gonna get within. Five football fields of that course, that I'm like, okay, that's fine. So, so you plan. did, you did not have a brush with greatness there. <laughs> However, you yeah. did at another yeah. point in the vacation. Uh, yeah, so this is
0: uh, fantastic. Uh, um, we were staying in, in just north of what I would say big Sky. So I think it's still considered big skies. Like uh, you know, hotels and villas for people to rent out. That's where Mrs. Greek and I were at. Uh, then down at the kind of the base of the mountain, there is a plaza area there uh, with a bunch of shops and bars and whatnot. And behind the, uh, I believe it's the Wilson or the Filson, I can't keep it straight. There was a little uh, uh, open area there. They had a concert. Um, it was rumored that the per- the main act was supposed to be Steve Martin and Steve Martin's band. So I went down there hoping it was Steve Martin. Yeah. Um, but I guess there was, there was some mix up, like he couldn't make it for whatever reason. So the band that was, um, going to warm up for him pretty much played the whole night, but they did a fantastic job. They played music like all over the place, like hip hop country nineties. Like, so that's right up my alley. And, uh, yeah, Mrs. Greek and I are sitting there just kind of enjoying the music, you know, and celebrating the 4th of July, having a great time cocktail in hand. And I look over to my left and I see this sharp looking middle-aged man and i turned to my wife and i said get your camera ready and she said why and i'm like i'm pretty sure that is jason seahorn (laughs) right there and and and
1: i had just enough cocktails in me where i I wasn't gonna care and and hold on keep it in mind listeners that greek is a giants fan
0: yeah so um so i walk over and i just kind of you know Tapped him on the shoulder a little bit, and he turned around. And I said, "Listen, man. Uh, hope I'm not bothering you too much, but are you Jason, he- Jason Seahor? And he says, "Yes, I am." Like, <laughs> I'm like, "Hi, I'm I'm Jeff. Um, I, I was a white DB in the Big Ten, and I'm also a Giants fan. So obviously, I, I followed your career quite a bit. I, I I appreciate you, you know, saying hi." And he goes, "Well, I'm Jason," <laughs> I said, "I'm Jeff." And uh, I go, hey, I got one quick story for you. If you just give me a couple minutes, do you mind? He's like, no, not at all. And for anybody listening, I swear to God, this is a true story. Um, so I said, I play college football, like I said, and I lived with four of my uh, um, teammates. And one of my teammates' dads, uh, who lived on the East Coast, got, knew that I really liked Jason Seahorn. And he got me a signed Jason Seahorn photo when you were at the Giants. He's like, all right. And I go, the craziest thing is, so I had that picture in my room. Uh, The craziest thing, we had this dog, you know, we were dumb enough to have a college dog in our house. And his name was Murphy. And Murphy was, you know, typically a pretty good dog. But for whatever reason, Murphy went into my room one day when I wasn't in there. And he ripped my Jason Seahorn photo to shreds wow and, isn't,
1: isn't that amazing how they pick out the one i mean you yeah. knew my dog jerry was the nicest dog ever never did anything he wasn't supposed to do the only thing he ever chewed up that he wasn't supposed to was assigned john elway football
0: really yes wow so it's like you almost kind of wonder if it's something with a sharpie on the. <laughs> I, I don't know like drew him to it so anyways, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I had to tell you that story. My roommates, my old roommates and, you know, teammates have made fun of me to this day with and, and he laughed. He goes, you know, it just sounds like you got a, a, you had a really smart dog there in college. So we, I laughed at that and I'm like, Hey, mate, can you take a picture real quick. And the, Mrs. Greek was right there with the phone. So she clicked a photo, got a really good photo um, like mountains in the background, you know, and then I'm like, uh, he said, where, he goes, where'd where you play football? And I said, I, I played at University of Iowa. He goes, oh, really? Uh, hey, man, some good football players come out of Iowa. And I'm like, yeah, um, not, you know, obviously tons come out of USC, USC. Who'd you play with? And he's like, well, our, our quarterback was, um, um, I was oh, drawing a blank. Uh, Brad uh, played for the Vikings, um, drawing a blank. And uh Tony Baselli. So we're I'm like, oh man, he Tony Baselli and he lists off a couple guys. And then um, right as we were getting into like what I believed was gonna be some just straight football talk, some fanboy interrupted us to take a picture. And I'm making fun of myself because obviously I was the original fanboy and then you know so that guy was going to take a picture there was a couple another guy behind him and i'm like hey man i'm sorry i opened up the floodgates he's like no 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 not at all uh and that was it we got separated um he said he walked by me at something at some 20 20 minutes later or so and was made a comment about the uh balloon maker girl for the kids being the most popular person there and i laughed and I don't know. I just I, I could really be feeding into my my own, you know, fantasy, but I, I believed Jason Seahorn and I were about ready to to have a really awesome football
1: conversation and I was robbed, but hey, at Until least I you ruined to- his night and made everybody come up and say hi to him. You know, it was before that sense. it was going great.
0: <laughs> it was my sense that Jason Seahorn uh or as I call him J horn, you know, we're, we're best, buds now. um, I don't think you really mind it too much, but anyway, there you go. There was, there was one of my, my good
1: stories for the trip. Well, that's fun stuff, man. Yeah. I saw the yeah. picture. That was pretty cool. Um, all right. So we don't have any housekeeping per se, but I did want to bring up one tweet from a Mike Farrell at, uh, rivals.com He's the, the, the top dude over there, at rivals.com for recruiting. I thought he came out with an interesting tweet about NIL, And this tweet is Mike Farrell's top programs for NIL. So that to me, that says producing the most revenue for the players, I think is what he means. Not necessarily who is going to help the most, who is going to catapult the most. I I just see it as who are the ones that are going to reap that the players are going to reap the most revenue from. Does that sound right?
0: I think I, I agree with you, but I would say the two are tied together, right? Whatever, A little bit. Yeah.
1: And, and mean, I'll go whatever, through.
0: Whatever school is able to capitalize on it, you would think would be able to capitalize
1: on recruiting. And if they're capitalized on recruiting, then one would yeah, but I, capitalize I on I guess recruiting. my point is these are all blue blood. So they're already doing well. How much is it going to help them? How much is it going to boost them up in the national scene? And there's one that sticks out quite a bit. Now, they're all blue bloods, and I'll go one through ten. Alabama, Notre Dame, and number three is it, Nebraska. Like, he thinks that is this is really going to help Nebraska, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Texas, Georgia, Oklahoma, and USC. So, I I have to think Mike Farrell has much better insight into this than you or I from his perspective, from his position. So, he's just saying this is going to make the rich richer.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, uh, you know what? Let's, since this is a, you know, Big Ten podcast, let's separate the Big Ten teams out. Uh, I mean, number one, every time I see one of these lists made, Nebraska's on the list. Um, I think Nebraska takes a lot of pride. You know, they were one of the first schools to really, you know, go hard in in the paint for for lifting, you know, and then nutrition. Uh, They want to be on the cutting edge of branding players and their facilities.
1: Facilities, one.
0: too. Yep. Uh, so the branding players is their next thing that they want to separate themselves with, um, like almost to the point where I wonder if, you know, Nebraska administrators and coaches and maybe even fans to a certain degree are feeling the heat. Like, I mean, they're on every list, like to the point where, you know, you're really expecting them to pull, you know, a rabbit out of the hat, so to speak. Uh, but it'll be interesting, obviously, to see how that that. Uh, transpires for a ton of teams, but you, you could maybe make an argument. Nebraska is one
1: of if that, the most interesting team. Well, so that's the thing that's always interested me is how much can a team elevate itself in the big picture from this and who are the ones that are going to elevate themselves? So top 10, he only has two big 10 teams, Nebraska and Ohio state. I mean, you got to figure Ohio state's going to be fine, but this is kind of my fear was the last thing that college football needed was, was, to be skewed more to the blue bloods and less to everybody else. But uh, I think that's probably what's going to happen here.
0: I still don't know. I I still stand by the mantra on NIL of anybody that acts like they know exactly how this is going to play out is just kidding themselves because we've never been here before. Um, um, I'm not against it. Again, I I believe that people should – be able to, to, you know, profit off their name, their image, their likeness. So I'm not against it. I still just don't know how it's going to play out. Um, To me, Penn State and Michigan could very much be on that list as well. Um, Michigan has a gigantic, wealthy amount of alum that would, I believe, get involved and get in the game. So I, I don't understand why they wouldn't be higher. Um, and the one thing me and you kind of briefly talked about earlier today when I was on the road is, you know, there still is a finite amount of five-star and really high four-star football players. So that that's what I'm thinking about is, you know, if they wind up going to the schools that Mike Farrell has listed out there, that wouldn't change things up that much because that's where the five-star and high four-star players are already going. That's true. Um, so is the interesting thing the mid to lower four stars? Because if certain teams start gobbling them up, maybe that makes where the
1: difference is at. Maybe. I have no idea. There's So a couple of things that happened just in the last couple of days here, University of Miami is has a partnership with some company, and I – sorry, I don't have the company's name, but – Every single scholarship football player for the University of Miami is going to get essentially a stipend, and be I think about six thousand a year. It's not huge, but it's something
0: on top of what I would believe is the stipend they're already getting. That's which is know, probably right? about the same, something like that, right? Yeah. Um, I, I guess if somebody is paying me, uh, you know, I don't know to to tile their their shower. And, and another person is going to pay me to tile their shower, but do it for $6,000 more, if I feel like both projects are about the same, I would take the pro- the one that pays me $6,000 more. Correct. I don't, I don't think these players are going to look
1: at it any different. I think this is a gigantic deal. I think so. And the, the example I have had since this came about yes, you have. was Phil Knight. At
0: I should have 19- set, set that up better for you. Kurt has been talking about Oregon, I believe on the pod. I know you it yeah. on Twitter and I definitely know you've talked about it, uh, you know, in direct messages or texts or conversations with me, you've pointed at Oregon, Phil Knight. There's so yeah. much money right there and he's already
1: tied with, with the Oregon Ducks. So go ahead. Well, so my idea was if you're Phil Knight, all your players are already wearing Nike. Why don't you just pay them? You know, I mean, he's got an endless amounts of money. You could just pay him a hundred grand every, every, Scholarship player, hundred grand, boom. He could do it. Come to Oregon, wear Nike, and make this much money. Now he hasn't done that, but there is a partnership that he just cut with Kayvon uh, Thibodeau, who is super recruit, five star guy. He's got a six figure deal already. I mean, how, how, for merchandise. How? How? And like, how can you compete with that? I don't know.
0: I, I mean. Like I saw somebody on Twitter, I have no idea who put this. It wasn't one of our listeners, but basically said in a couple of years, we will have our first paid for national champion. And and is that maybe being
1: outlandish a little bit? I hope so, but
0: it might not be.
1: See, a lot of people saying that there's going to be a correction, like there's going to be an overreaction and paying kids more than these companies are going to get benefit and then they're going to pull back and, and stop doing it after a couple of years. I don't know. I just see that. That seems to be a popular take right now on the Twitters. I mean, I, I, I can understand that point
0: and companies start looking at their ROI and saying, okay, this really isn't worth it. So there, there could be some truth in that, but I, I don't care. I'm just going to say it again. Braden Gull acting like nothing is going to change for 99% of college football fans. I still don't know where he's coming from from such a, a stance of confidence that this is going to change. I know it's like the well, 18th. he only
1: follows eight teams, so well, for those eight teams, it's not going to change much.
0: That's right. He cares about national championship contenders and the top seven or eight teams in the SEC. So to him, yeah, yeah to, he's probably right. Uh, yeah. he only cares about those teams, so it won't change. Just completely not caring about, uh, you know roughly 120 to 115 other college football programs in the country. You just don't care. And, and, but when he said 99% of college football fans, I took that on face value, meaning 99% of the fans that encompass the the total 130 teams. Like, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I, I just, I, I've listened to other podcasts. I've read stuff. And like the general feeling I get from, um, uh, people who do podcasts people who do sports writers is like I just think they're giddy to have something new and shiny to talk and write about and they are caring about that way more than they are the actual health of the sport which I mean I feel like it's kind of a I don't know if this is the right metaphor but cutting off your nose to spite your face type of deal like I I, I still don't think they're getting it and I just hope I'm wrong.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as an Illini fan, being at the bottom of the the pack and looking up, it angers me that it could make it harder. But then what about a team like Wisconsin, who's historically played very well? Now they're starting to recruit better, thinking maybe, you know, we can eventually get up into that realm where we can start making runs at college football playoff. And now they have to compete against someone like Oregon.
0: Yeah. Don't know how they could.
1: No, I don't know
0: either. I, I, I mean, you could list off a lot of teams in the Big Ten that would fall under the same thing. You know, Wisconsin's got, you know, I mean, you drive around Green Bay, every, bill, every other billboards got Aaron Rodgers. Um, a couple other Packers, you know, but not a ton. It's, it's mostly the superstars. Is there a lot of desire and money around, you know, Milwaukee and Madison to kind of do that same thing? With Wisconsin football players. I, I don't know.
1: Um I my it, guess is not really because the Packers are just so huge in So huge.
0: So maybe it's something that could hurt Wisconsin. Um I know. Uh Iowa is uh uh it's only showing talent. So I think that helps, but it's like farmer mentality based where I can just see a lot of Iowans, just a lot of companies are saying we're not doing that, you know, these these are kids. They sh- Um, I think Penn State would do well. I'm curious, like Purdue has to, you know, compete with a bunch of other schools in Indiana. Um, Here's
1: here's two I'm interested in tracking. Minnesota and Illinois. Okay, Minnesota's in a major metro area. That's a pro town. Right. So they're second fiddle by far. So how much are they really going to benefit from that? Then you got Illinois that's not in a big town, but they're 150 miles south of Chicago, which is the biggest city in the footprint of the Big Ten, and it's filled with Illini alums. So I'm just curious that that ge- geographic difference—how much of a difference is that going to make?
0: And then you got Northwestern, literally in Chicago, yeah. you know, or right. close as you can be. Um, I, I thought the one of them that you were going to go with for Big Ten schools is Maryland for whatever Oregon is doing with Nike. Maybe not to a certain degree, but but Maryland could do with Under Armour. Could, could yeah. Maryland wind up being the the second biggest team in the Big Ten? I mean, I'll just say this: if 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 there is a situation where Maryland and Under Armour team up and they are just they they go off the charts with recruiting and therefore success on the field. Braden Gall and all these people that said nothing was going to really change in college football are dead wrong because that would be proof enough to me on how much different the landscape has changed if something like that happened.
1: And speaking of Champaign and Chicago, what about Piscataway in New York City? Jersey, I mean, Rutgers is interesting. It, it, it could is. be a thing. Yeah. And that's a huge school with an enormous enrollment, just like Illinois. So their alumni base is enormous. I don't know. I hope. I hope when people listen to us talk about this
0: just now, and this obviously wasn't our first time, I hope they're listening to us and saying, these old dorks, they're they they they're making a big deal out of nothing still. I, I hope it sounds like we, over, we are overreacting. I hope time will
1: tell that we are overreacting. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know if we're overreacting. We're just speculating. Speculation. Things yeah. are going to change. There's going to be changes. There's going to yeah. be unintended consequences. I just... I just am curious to see what they end up being. I mean, if it's, if it winds up being a 95, five thing, you know, where the
0: top 5% make most of the money. I don't think that would change things a ton because again, those guys are already getting paid well to go play in the sec. Um, So maybe it wouldn't make that much of a difference if the rest of the 95% are essentially just selling t-shirts every now and then. I don't think that would be a huge deal. Um, and I guess it it does tie into, you know, the uh, EA Sports. They've essentially come out and said, you know, we'll probably have the names of the players in the game. It's in the game. And I'll um, tell you who will not be impacted by that. This guy. No, I understand. I, I will be. I am looking forward to hopefully playing that video game with my son someday. Um, now, the only thing is, and this is a deep cut for the, you know, NCAA football dorks like me. uh, And I know there's a ton of them. Um, The coolest part of the game was you could get the game and then you could download the roster. At one point you had to physically get the the disc that you plugged into the PlayStation or whatever. And then somebody would program all the names in. And then, uh, so you would download them. So for, you know, 50 bucks, you got the game for $25. You got somebody did all the names and ratings and everything. That was one of the coolest parts of getting it, is that you felt like you got bootlegged, you know, info to, for the game. And it was the coolest thing in the world. I would never turn the game on until I got the, the download. Um, if it's already going to be in the game, it'll kind of take a little bit of the fun out of it. But trust me, I'll, I'll still be
1: playing it. That'd be cool if they just included a little thumb drive for you. Your, yeah? your bootleg thumb drive with the, with the rosters on them. Just yeah, for old time's was... sake.
0: One of the best bootleggers was was out of Iowa, actually. um, Oh, yeah. So it was fun. But um, I'm sure this will be an an ongoing thing that we'll talk about. Anything else you want to talk about it now, though?
1: Nope, that's it. That's a lot to say.
0: All right. So we'll go ahead and introduce our uh, favorite segment, maybe that we've ever done by the fans for the fans. We've got three more interviews that we've done. Apologize to these three gentlemen. They did their interviews quite some time Ago, uh, We kind of just uh, had some uh, interviews that we already did, and of course we were up against my uh, vacation. I just could not get this podcast recorded. So first up will be the Super 1 at Super Crawl, and he did a really good job talking about the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, next up will be Alex Davis at Hoosier AI111, obviously talking about Indiana, and heck, why don't we just put them right up against another Big Ten West team, their rival, Greg McManus at Greg MCL and Kane. He's obviously going to do Purdue. Uh, Please take a listen. I think all three of these guys did a really good job. All right. We are now joined by our Wisconsin super fan, the super one at Super Crawl and uh, Soup, Super Crawl, whatever you want to call it. Welcome to the podcast, my man. Hey, thanks a lot, Jeff. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. So we had talked offline before we started recording. Um, Our goal was to find uh, people that listen to the podcast, you know, to come on to ours. And then for you, we wanted to have somebody that was more specific, a Wisconsin fan, you know, not a not a Packer fan. That's kind of a Wisconsin fan. Um, I know our listeners can't see. But Soup's got—I mean, he's in a—he's in a Badger man cave right now. We definitely are talking to a Badger football fan, correct?
2: <laughs> Absolutely, hundred percent through and through. You know, my neighbors—they're uh, quite busy on Sunday afternoons, but when they come into my basement, they know that I'm a Saturday guy.
0: Fantastic. That's good. That is exactly who we want, what we wanted for this. Um, and then, if I could add to. Soup looks, he looks like a Wisconsin guy. He's a big dude. He looks like he could be a pulling guard in some, some capacity. So I I feel I'm feeling very good for who we got here. So, all right, we'll get you a chance to explain, you know, yourself a little bit more. We'll do the same five questions that we've done for everybody else. So first one out is, is kind of a two-parter. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Why, how you became a Badger football fan. Uh, and then as best we can we'll just weave that into you telling us about uh, your, your most fun you know badger moment for for the football team.
2: All right cool yeah thanks. Um, so I grew up in in southern Wisconsin not far from Madison and uh, back in the day when I was a kid I'm just the right age that I remember that they were bad but that's not dominating my childhood memories. My first like Vivid memory of the Badger football program is: Hey, they they uh were able to hire away the defensive coordinator from Notre Dame, some kid named Alvarez. Okay, and uh, of course Barry came here to try his hand at the the uh, rebuild that was necessary and uh, been quite successful. Worked his all way all the way up to uh, being the new Shadow Commissioner of the Big Ten. So,
0: generally speaking, late elementary, middle school, or whatever is when kind of Barry took over
2: for you. Yeah, pretty much. You're right around that time. Yep.
0: So I think they call that the formative years. So right when you were in your formative years was right when the Badgers took off. So I, I guess it would make sense why you're you're broadcasting from a Badger man cave right now.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it's really been awesome because like I said, I, I can appreciate that they were bad and I don't take it for granted, um, but certainly you value the success that we've had over the recent history.
0: Very healthy perspective. So I'm curious about the next question, your your favorite moment or favorite you know, season or whatever, it could be the early ones with, with Barry. It could be some of the Heights, you know, Wisconsin's reached since then. What, what do you got?
2: Sure. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, when you think about your favorite moments as a Badger fan, um, a lot of people will say, you know, the Gilreath kickoff return against Ohio state that just kind of set the tone for that big upset um, Melvin Gordon's four Oh eight game. Uh, but I have to leave those off because I wasn't there for those. And I've got a top three of my own. Yeah. Okay. Um, had a chance to be down in Indianapolis for the first Big Ten Championship and the big fourth and sixth pass from Russell Wilson to Duckworth down the goal line and punch it in and go home with that big trophy. That was awesome. Yep. Um, the atmosphere when LSU came to La- Lambeau, you know, in and around the field, just the uh, fans from out of town and, and inside the stadium, uh, sadly, probably louder for that Badger game with a mixed crowd than most Packer games. And that tells you a little bit about kind of Packer crowds, I guess, but that's a whole different podcast.
0: That's interesting. And, you know, being an Iowa fan, I'm not saying I cheer for Wisconsin all the time, but I can assure you I was cheering for Wisconsin that day versus LSU and the SEC. So nice. Okay. Keep going.
2: Yeah. That was fantastic. You know, when Connolly blew up Fournette in the hole and nobody knew who this guy was, you know, just a walk-on kid out of Minnesota. And little did we know that, you know, he plays out to be an NFL player too. Um, But my top highlight is Quintez Cephas running wide open on a post pattern right to me in the TCF bank end zone, catching that ball from Cone 2019. And uh, of course the Badgers go on to win in the snow and PJ Flex still makes a ring about it.
0: (laughs) Got, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be one of these interviews unless somebody got a little bit of a dig in with one of their rivals. So well done soup. I am, I am very impressed, man. Good stuff. Um, So kind of folding that into, you know, maybe a little bit more national scene, podcasts, whatever. What do the national guys get wrong? Or maybe just what's one of the more annoying tropes that they have about Badger football?
2: Sure. You know, I'd say they've gotten better um, because Wisconsin as a brand and a program has been pretty stable for, you know, 20 years or so. Um, So there's not as much that they do badly, but I got a couple things. The first thing I'd say is the preseason rankings for Wisconsin are regularly way off. If we start in the top 10, oof, that's a that's a harbinger of doom. Something bad's gonna happen. And when we start lower ranked, we tend to end up higher. You know, three out of four times we've ended up ranked top 10. We haven't started in the top 10, and two of those we started unranked.
0: So it's kind of interesting. You want the respect by being ranked higher to start the season, but yet, you know, double-edged sword like that. I I totally understand that.
2: Yeah, yeah. If people pay attention to the data, you probably don't want to be top 10 as a badger fan.
0: I thought something maybe you would talk about is just, you know, I feel like Wisconsin deserves the credit to be up with, and I'm, I'm mostly annoyed by, you, you know, the, the SEC ESPN, you know, brotherhood that they have. And you would think by listening to them, teams like Texas A&M or sometimes Auburn or whatever are, are so much more talented and better of a football program, Wisconsin, I don't, I don't even believe they're on the same page. I believe Wisconsin's the step up from those programs. I don't know that from my point of view, I believe that's what would annoy me as a, as a Badger fan.
2: Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Cause I think obviously you're totally right. You know, it's, you talk about any measure of wins or success over a period of time. Wisconsin is blowing a lot of those programs out of the water. Um, you know, Melvin Gordon got Auburn in, in the citrus bowl um, that year. And, we've, we've had success against those teams in those out-of-conference matchups, you know, LSU came into Lambeau ranked top 10 and, you know, Wisconsin beat them. It's, I don't really, you know, I don't really worry about that too much because that's just people talking. And I think a lot of, a lot of the audience who's savvy knows enough not to pay attention to that
0: healthy attitude, healthy attitude. All right. So we will move on to kind of focusing on the upcoming season what is something that excites you the most about the 2021 Wisconsin Badgers?
2: You know, I think we're set up for a good year. Um, one of the things that's most exciting for me is coming out of spring practice, the offensive line. And, and specifically, you know, if, if your coaches are looking at in a five-star who everybody anticipated would be a starter, you know, Logan Brown did some good things last year in spot duty, um, but if he's shuffled out of the starting offensive line in spring ball, um, that tells me we got a lot of depth and a lot of guys ready to go. Um, Jack Nelson, five-star guard, is uh, you know looking to be on the field and, and week one. So really excited about the offensive line and also Coach Rudolph returning to focusing in on offensive line duties. You know, giving back the play calling and and going back to some of his strengths.
0: I uh, as as an Iowa fan, I am not happy to hear that the play calling is going back to Chris. Um, I think that's going to be a huge advantage. Something that. Maybe haven't heard much about. It's interesting you bring that up because that's that that definitely is a
2: positive for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, the thing, there's a lot to be excited about. You know, most of the position groups are going to be strong. And uh, staying
0: on the positive, I got to assume you're pretty confident with the defense too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Although I got a little bit coming up for um, a li- an area of doubt, but yeah, front okay. seven wide super strong. You know, I'm really expecting. Um, the backers to just wreck shop. Uh, you know, you've talked about the the 3D printing of linebackers in Wisconsin. And if you don't know the guy's name yet, you will. Um, there's going to be some of that, but we we know a couple of the guys, especially up the middle. Um, Sanborn and Chennault are just beasts.
3: Yep.
0: So we'll transition right into this the not so good parts of the upcoming season. I'm, I'm guessing you're kind of
2: thinking secondary? I am, yeah. You know, I weighed running back depth, um, but I think with the recent addition of Malusi, um, that that helps with that a little bit, but we're still, you know, one or two nicks away from a bunch of freshmen and guys who haven't really seen the field there. But I really am thinking DBs, you know, um, Wisconsin is going to play five DBs over half the time on defense. You know, everybody says, you know, three, four alignment, but only against Iowa and Minnesota, you know, most of the time it's a two, four, five or, or other kind of odd sets. So Leonard gets pretty creative there, but when you're playing that many defensive backs, and there's a bunch of guys who have seen the field who are pretty experienced, but not a lot of like explosive. I know that guy's a dude kind of players. Yeah. And so we really need to see some more growth and and you know some big playability out of the secondary. Um, teams that beat Wisconsin beat them by throwing consistently or throwing over the top. So if we can get some good defensive backfield play, we'll be tough. Yeah, that is
0: something I've I've thought about a lot with the Wisconsin defense. Is I mean it's hard to pick it apart, but you you just hit it is right there. Um, and I believe that's what. Uh, uh, point meaning you can touch up the Wisconsin defense by by throwing, you know, uh, past it. It just so happens that there's not a lot of offenses in the Big Ten West that are set up for that, and it's kind of just one of those things that seems to work out with for Wisconsin, or maybe it's by, you know, designed by Jim Leonard. Um, how about, you know, I feel like a lot of the issues last year on the Wisconsin offense, not that it was bad, but it was a step down, I think it's fair to say, than what the Wisconsin offense has been. Uh, new quarterback, a lot of injuries at the pass-catching position. How do you feel like, you know, the team's progressed and getting healthy in, in the pass-catching area?
2: Sure. You know, I think you you hit on it right there, getting healthy. Um, they didn't anticipate being without Davis or Pryor for pretty much, you know, the whole year, two-thirds of the year. And so that really pushed a guy like Chimre DK into the starting lineup before he was probably ready. You know, explosive athlete. Um, but learning as he goes, and then you're relying on you know five foot six, five foot seven, Jack Dunn to be a starting receiver. Um, that's not a fair situation to put anybody in, let alone the way that the uh, pandemic affected the who was available any given week and offensive line continuity. You know, if you're not rolling out the same five or six guys regularly, there's going to be some missed calls and some misprotections, and, sure. and we saw a lot of that.
0: Yep, absolutely. And I, I think one thing I've listened to a, a couple Badger podcasts. I, I don't think. Um, you know, you're, you're, uh, oh my God, I'm having a brain fire with your running back. Jalen um, Berger? Yeah, Berger, sorry. I don't think he was, you know, he wasn't completely integrated into the offense. He was mostly a running back last year. I'm sure he's going to be uh, much better in the pass protection uh, side of things and maybe even catching the ball. I think you're going to see more out of him this year.
2: Yeah, I would agree too. You know, besides that he had some lapses a little bit in pass pro or he had to come out and Groshek played a lot. Um, you know, he's going to be uh, developing to where he can be more of a bell cow. You know, last year he never touched the ball more than 15 times in a game, even when he was, you know, playing well and pretty hot. Uh, so this year I think he'll get some more touches.
0: Well, after four years of Jonathan Taylor never freaking missing a game, it, it was actually kind of refreshing to see a couple hiccups at the running back spot for Wisconsin <laughs> for a All right, uh, so that gets us <laughs> – that gets us right into the last question, which is just, you know, kind of a general prediction, what you want to make for, for, your, for your squad.
2: You know, and looking over the schedule for the fall, um, it's really going to come down to about three toss-up games. As we sit here right now, Wisconsin is going to be favored on every game on paper um, on their schedule, you know, barring, you know, as we sit here in what, June. Um, but it's going to come down to those three games with opening against Penn State, Notre Dame three weeks later, and then uh, the Iowa game, and I'm thinking, you know, Wisconsin tends to be, we're we're at risk of losing a game we shouldn't lose, and we'll probably drop one of those three. So I, I see Wisconsin ended up maybe around ten and two. You know, we're lucky we get Northwestern at Camp Randall Stadium, where you know things are less likely to turn weird. Um, Ryan Field's been, of course, a house of horrors for us, among others. But you know, I hate going down there; it's just rough. Um, but I'm really hoping that. Uh, that we also, you know, continue to stick the screws to the Gophers in that axe game. And of course, uh, Burt Bowl won down in Champaign is an interesting game, you know, Can't wait. Something, something weird might happen.
0: All right. So 10-2, and, and I would assume to you that means a, a trip to Indy?
2: I'm thinking so. I'm thinking so. I mean, Iowa's going to be pretty tough again, you know, bringing back a lot of offensive talent, but losing Smith-Marset, I think uh, changes what's available in the running game there. And uh, you know Minnesota again with Moai Ibrahim. He's uh, he's a beast. He's tough, and he could change some things.
0: I got I got to put the screws to you. So uh, Wisconsin in Indy or not?
2: I'm going to go with yeah. Yeah, you know, okay. uh, other people might disagree, but I'm I'm planning on being down there, and I'm definitely going to be in Chicago for that Notre Dame game as well. So
0: you you seem like you've traveled to a lot of good games. So man, I I hope you see a good one, and I I will definitely be cheering for the Badgers that day. I promise.
2: Thanks a lot. Appreciate the support.
0: All right, man, you did a great job. Anything else you want to add before we take off here?
2: I'm just going to play up another trope and say, you know what, Jeff? Thanks to the Eyes on Big Podcast and uh, on Wisconsin.
0: All right, fantastic. That was Super Crawl. Give him a follow on Twitter and we
1: will talk to you soon. We're here right now with Indiana Hoosier fan, Alex. You can find him on Twitter at HoosierAl111. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. All right, so I'm going to get right into it and start with the first question. Why are you an Indiana fan and what's your best memory of being an Indiana football fan?
3: Uh, Long story short, um,
1: I was
3: um, about four years old when I started becoming an Indiana fan because my father was uh, an assistant basketball coach. At uh, Indiana University, and um, my favorite football memory is um, well, I've got a couple of them, but the first one um, is the "quote unquote" the darkest day in Ohio State football history, uh, October tenth, nineteen eighty-seven, um, when Indiana Hoosiers when the Indiana Hoosiers uh, beat Ohio State out of
1: nowhere, thirty-one to ten. So, tell me, was that? an unexpected, was it a huge upset? Do you remember the line or anything like that? What, what, yeah. was, what was it like going into that game?
3: I, it was before I started my degenerate habits, but uh, I, I was uh, 12 when it went down. Um, it, I do know that it was Ohio state was three Oh and one at the time they played the game. Uh, and I know that absolutely nobody was expecting Indiana to win that game. Um the game was tied 10 to 10 at half and um Indiana outscored Ohio State 21 to nothing in the second half and beat them 31 to 10. As I look back at the stats of that football game, there wasn't I mean Anthony Thompson ran for about 140 yards or so, but it there wasn't like one big thing that stuck out offensively. I do know that there was a guy named Brian DeWitt's at school that had uh, two interceptions in that game. Um, and they carried Bill Mallory off the field. If that tells you anything, um, just kind of a special moment, I think in, in our history, what little there is anyway.
1: And those were the good old days, the I formation just pounding the rocks. So I guess 140 was enough that day to get it done. Probably. And they probably had the box stack pretty tight too, if you will. I would imagine. Yeah. So we could talk probably about based on what your, your answer was there. We could, probably have a whole nother episode on just bob knight stories but that's for another <laughs> podcast
3: yeah i think so i think maybe um uh later on uh during basketball season we could probably have a couple of
1: talks <laughs> about that but we start doing a little more basketball okay question number two what do national writers or podcasters get wrong the most with indiana football um i still feel like the media still clings to indiana being
3: a basketball school i don't think it's necessarily even close to being a football school um but it's a lot closer i think to greatness with their football program than their basketball program is and i know they've just hired a really good guy with their basketball program mike woodson but he's yet to coach one basketball game i think that the culture that Tom Allen created, if you compare it, if you set it side-by-side, what Tom Allen has done with IU football and what Archie Miller did with IU men's basketball, it's worlds apart. And so I think there's still a misconception, the fact that there's five banners hanging in that arena. Yeah, that's great, but, I mean, that's a lifetime ago. So, unfortunately, they've not been consistently good since, you
1: know, Bill Clinton was our president. Yeah. I mean, if you look at very recent history, I think there's a lot more to be proud about with IU football than basketball, at least at the moment. Absolutely.
3: For sure. For sure.
1: Yeah. And I love Tom Allen. I got to say when, when they hired him, I didn't know much about him and uh, was a little skeptical, but more I looked into him, the more excited I got. And I, I love him. He's my, he's my favorite non I coach in the big 10. I've made that very clear on the podcast.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, he looks like a superhero. Right. Like you say. Um, and he, um, he's, there's a, I feel like this world, there's a lot of Tom Allen's out there. I, I feel like there's Tom Allen's everywhere. This guy just got his shot and he's making the most of it. And I'm just along for the ride because I love the guy to death. I go, I, I mean, every single friend of mine that's an Ohio State football fan, because I'm from Columbus, just for the listeners. Um, every single Ohio state football fan that I talk to um, all say they'd root for Indiana had it not been for Ohio state because he's such a likable character and he's a passionate
1: guy about football. He's very likable. I love those wee beady eyes that he's got. Never know if he, if uh, he's your best friend, or he's going to stab you in the back, but, but he does have a great culture and uh, he's starting to recruit really well too. So, Really excited for the future of Indiana football. Okay, question number three. What excites you the most about the 2021 team? Okay, so that's a really good
3: question. The 2021 team, I think it's pretty easy to you know talk about Michael Penix coming back, um, Ty Freifogel, um, even the even the transfers that have come in, um, you know, DJ Matthews, Stephen Carr from USC, um, you know, Samson James is another guy but you know offensively I think they're going to be okay but what most excites me about this team is the defense um not only with the transfers but with our secondary I think the secondary um is probably a top 10 secondary in the United States which I don't think we've ever been this good defensively um ever at Indiana
1: they lose Jamar Johnson, which is a huge loss, but boy, I love the cornerbacks at IU. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, ironically,
3: Taiwan Mullen's little brother, who's a four star, is currently in Bloomington for a recruiting a, a, an official visit. maybe I'm not sure, but he just posted on Twitter. Um, and, and I'm excited to hear that. And then also uh, Dylan McCullough, is a new hire. He was previously our running backs coach. Um, but all three of his sons, um, are coming to Indiana to play. And one of his sons just decommitted from Ohio state and he's a safety and he is a national prospect. Um, and, uh, somebody that was a 2022 guy. So, I mean, I think, uh, boy, if we can get, if we can snag Taiwan Mullen's little brother, Travell and then and, and have, um, McCullough's uh, son that just flipped and for the love of me. I I just can't figure out his name. Um, If we could get him and those two guys to
1: play together, boy, we would uh, be in great shape. Boy, if you can get him, you're just really stealing Ohio State's lunch after the Samson James thing. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, I I think with Stephen Carr transferring from USC, Samson James kind of gets lost in the mix there. But I don't think people understand. He had a couple of games his freshman year, especially the Purdue game where he really played well. He got dinged up in that game. Um, but he, he's a hard runner and, um, really, uh, you'll find out later on, uh, my
1: thoughts on our running game, but. Okay. Well, I tell you what, you mentioned one name. My favorite IU player has been for a couple of years now, Ty Freifogel. I am so excited for that guy coming back. I think, Indiana offense with Penix and him and those running backs is going to be in good hands. All right. Yep. Moving on to the next question. Question four, what concerns you the most with this 2021 team? What concerns you the most? Offensive line play
3: is my number one concern. Um, And it's not that um, I'm worried about their pass protection as much as I'm worried about the way they run the football um, it's a big 10, so you got to run the football to have any type of success in the league. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's man on man up front. Um, and I, I really kind of struggle sometimes, um, with, with where things are with our, with our offensive line in terms of being able to move the ball in short yarded situations. And, um, that, I
1: guess that's my biggest concern um up front anyway so as a non-IU fan I can sympathize with that a little bit uh you, you look at Stevie Scott who's a great running back and granted more of a power back but yards per carry for the running backs for IU has just not been great they don't seem to break they don't get big holes they don't break a lot of big run plays is that fair to say absolutely uh 2020
3: we were 10th in the conference in rushing um I mean if you look at um you know, the difference between 2015 and 2016, which is Kevin Wilson's last year, they went from second in the Big Ten. Now, I, I understand that they lost Dan Feeney and they lost Jason Spriggs, the two guys that are playing in the NFL. Good good draft picks. But if, if you look at their drop-off from 15 to 16, they go from second to 10th in the Big Ten. And it's just not acceptable to – to think that you're going to be okay um, with being successful running the football um, and then, you know, have that type of drop-off. So, I mean, I think um, that's really the biggest concern. The, there's actually one other small concern, which is it's kind of been alleviated through this transfer portal. I, I was very concerned with our pass rush defensively mm. Um but we've added two guys. We've added, uh, ironically, your guy, Ty Freifogel's cousin, uh, Jer- Jaron Handy, and then Ryder Anderson. Jaron Handy came over from Auburn, and then Ryder Anderson came up from um, Ole Miss. So he played us in the bowl game, and then he, transfer- he transferred, grad transferred to us. So uh, we added those two guys. I think that's, that gives us some athleticism on the edge a little bit, uh, gives us some, some more pass rush. Um, Mike Ziemba's all right. He's, he's formidable, but you know, maybe James head. Um, but after that, there wasn't much. Um, so I, I'm excited to have those two guys and some speed on the edge there for us. Yeah,
1: that is good news. And and I agree that not much pass rush from the IU edge last few years. And, and really you can go back pretty, pretty deep. And when was the last time they had a great pass rusher? In it's been a minute, Nate Davis, maybe. <laughs> And, and that's been good. since I played there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
3: Yeah. I remember so, that. I mean, yeah, I mean, like the, the biggest issue with that was, um, you know, Kane Womack, he's not with Indiana anymore. But I mean, it's, it's still gonna be Tom Allen's defense. So the biggest issue really was, I personally felt like we were blitzing too much. So we would send our linebackers time after time. And sometimes on these third downs, it, it they couldn't get off the field. And it's really... Um, to quote Tom Allen, it's really come in, this game has really transformed into a third down game. So getting off the field at third down is, is as big as anything. So, um, the less that we have to blitz, I think the better, um, because when we send our guys, we're going to send them and they're going to come hard. I mean, we've, we used to last year, we sent our cornerbacks a lot. Uh, which is fun when you when you get a hat on the quarterback and you bring them down and you create turnovers, which is a part of a big part of what the defense is about. But on the other hand, uh, you can get caught with your pants hanging down there for a minute. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: you always want to get to the quarterback without the blitz. That's, that's ideal, right? For sure, absolutely. Okay, number five, last question here. What is your prediction for the 2021 seasons for your Indiana Hoosiers? Well, for the first time in my
3: life, I don't want to give too much information. I'm 46 years old. The first time in my life, I feel like, uh, boy, if we stay away from the injury bug, we win 10 games um, if we stay healthy. And, I mean, we all know who that healthy person is. That's that's Michael Penick. So, uh, you know, if we stay away from that bug, um, you know – we'll, we'll compete in the East that that doesn't necessarily mean that we will um, beat Ohio state. I mean, I think Ohio state would be to slip up a little bit um, to, to even have us being mentioned. And I honestly think that um, based on what happened week one of last year in our big 10 season, Penn state's got a big old circle around our game. So I've got some concerns about that one. And to be honest with you, um week one is something that i don't hear a lot of people talking about iowa and it just seems like when people don't talk about iowa iowa just comes up and they're fantastic so that's just the way Ferrence is that's the way he runs his program and so i've kind of got those three games circled as like boy i'm really concerned about him even if we're running clicking on all cylinders i i just don't know So i figure maybe
1: we'll get one out of three of those i hope so anyway my question with so I, Indiana, even though it's rare they beat Iowa, they always give Iowa a good game, Isn't that correct? They do right. Yeah I, I think so.
3: Um, I mean like I mean we're Indiana, so we've been run off the field more than you know a few times by everyone, but it does seem like when we when we have a competitive team, Uh, we can hang in with just about anybody, Iowa included. Um, I just, uh, I know that there may be some bad blood with Indiana and a few of the football teams that had a say in them not competing in the Big Ten football championship last year. Um, And I think maybe Iowa might have been one, and I I don't want to start anything, but I think they might have been one of the teams that uh, were brought up in the conversation of, okay, well, they're supporting high state. And I know Wisconsin was too. I don't don't even know if we've got those guys on our schedule, but I mean, I guarantee it as big of a motivator as Tom Allen is, he's going to be circling these games and going, these guys didn't want you last year. This is, I mean, he's just going to create this uh, storm of anger,
1: I guess, if you will. Yeah, one thing I like to talk about on the podcast, specifically about programs like IU that are transitioning from historically bottom dwellers to moving up into the top, is you got to start doing big boy things. You got to start winning the games that you're supposed to win all the time. And you can start beating programs that you don't normally beat. So for me, the one I have circled personally is the Iowa game. Absolutely. You gotta beat Iowa. And I think you can take it a
3: step further than last year. Yeah, they beat some teams last year. But there wasn't anybody in the stands. So last year might have been our tryout. This year is the stage is set for these guys, and they've, they've really got to – and, and I, I feel like in a lot of ways they're going to rise up to the challenge. I've, I've not felt like – I don't want to seem like I'm being cocky because I'm an Indiana football fan. It's just not in my blood. But I just – boy, I just – it just feels right to feel like, man, these guys are ready. They're playing – good football. They've got the right leadership in place. They've got good support with the athletic department and now they've, uh, they at least officially announced that they're going to, you know, allow hundred percent capacity in their football stadium this year. So um, I mean, it's, it's the table set for them. Actually, there's a game. My son, my oldest son goes to the university of Cincinnati. And so um, that game will also tell a lot about our football team as well. Uh, It's week four, I think, Um, or week three or week four, but we play Cincinnati and um, man, I think what a big game for Cincinnati. What a big game for Indiana. I mean, that that should be a nationally televised
1: football game as well. Yeah, that'll be a good one. So bonus question here before we leave. Uh, what, What do you anticipate the Memorial stadium atmosphere to be like this year? And like, Sellouts, is that what you're expecting? Um, I think the big ones will get
3: sellouts. I don't think we're going to sell Idaho out. I don't think we're going to sell, you know, if we've got maybe Michigan State at home, I think we won't sell that game out, even though it's a trophy game. That's a rivalry game. That's a spittoon game. But, I mean, (laughs) nobody cares about the brass spittoon, but I'm just telling you that, I mean, the big ones, people – I mean, well, people are going to come and party
1: no matter what in Bloomington. So, but, I think. let me interject. I think that's mm, something people don't realize. The the tailgating scene is pretty good at Monroe Stadium. Is, am I correct? Absolutely. There? Absolutely.
3: So, it'll be great. So, you know, if these big games turn into blowouts where they're getting smoked, people are just going to turn around and walk away. But if they, they're exciting games, I mean – it boils down to the kids performing, which unfortunately, you know, people need to be patient with this type of turnaround, man. I don't think they realize some of these people don't understand that. You know, it wasn't good when Cam Cameron and Jerry DiNardo coached our football program.
1: No,
0: I I watched those years. It was not pretty pretty. bad. Yeah,
3: absolutely.
1: Okay. Well that wraps it up, Alex. Really appreciate your time. Again, this is uh, Alex. You can find him on Twitter at Hoosier Al. 111 thank you alex thank you so much all right go hoosiers
0: all right now we are joined
1: with our number one purdue
0: fan greg mcmanus if you want to follow him on twitter it's greg mcmanus at greg M C L N K. and k greg welcome to the podcast thanks so much for joining us thanks for having me jeffrey <laughs> um all right so we are going to start this off same kind of template that we're doing for everybody else first question is a little bit of a two-part question uh just give us a little bit of background of who greg is why you're a purdue football fan and then as best you can just try to try to fold that into the best memory you have of being a boilermaker football fan okay
4: um ended up a fan uh went to purdue mid-90s um not exactly banner time to become a Purdue football fan. Uh, my freshman year was Jim Coletto's 1-10 season. Uh, preseason, he proclaimed to the freshman, we're going to the Rose Bowl. And then he dials up a 1-10. Uh, but the great thing about that season is uh, as bad as some of those games were, it was f- just fascinating, amazing to watch Mike Allstott run the ball um everything was so bad about that team except when they would give it to the big fullback and he would go into this pile and then out of nowhere he'd just squeeze out and keep going yeah and uh i looked up his stats before we got here he's like just shy of six yards a carry when they give him the ball it's like amazing one in ten team but there's this guy just can just bash through the line and get yards crazy and that
0: was and that was a little bit in the you know five yards and four yards in a cloud of dust time um, for him to be able to pull out that average. That's, that's phenomenal.
4: Yeah. So, uh, you know, that kind of got me hooked and then, you know, I grew up around in PG County in Maryland and then Northwest Indiana. So all met big Metro. So my football attendance had all been, you know, Redskins games, Bears games. So then I'd not been around the environment where you get the, the college band and, you know, that environment with the tailgating. So that was my first exposure to that. So you, you're on campus, you're in this town where the the campus at that time for West Lafayette literally doubles the size of the town when school is in. Um, so just the whole environment. So you're just kind of hooked, even though the record wasn't great, you know, Fantastic. so it just kind of draws you in. And then uh, just memory, you know, after being out of, out of, out of school, I mean that of course, 2000 game watching on TV, you know, you got the Brent Musburger call of to Seth Morales touchdown, you know, beat Ohio state last minute there and get to go to the Rose bowl. And then, um, you know, more recent, of course, 2018 watching uh, Rondale, more and DJ Knox just go off on Ohio State as well sorry if Ohio State fans feel like I'm targeting them with my memories but you know those are ones that stand out
0: <laughs> well it's a compliment too because when you beat Ohio State you know it, it, that's a memorable moment right yeah. there um I called. I called the uh, Purdue beating Ohio State on the podcast. Just, just self promotion, right there. Yeah.
4: Well, you know everything. You know, I think some OSU fans, you know, saw it coming. You know, with, you know Tyler, kind of getting national yep. coverage yep. up before then, and he was going to be at the game, and so yeah, just you know everything around it outside of the game, and then with you know this crazy wide receiver that Purdue had out of nowhere. Yep. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, that was that was electric night. Um, So, you know, talking about kind of national media, right, or national podcasts, maybe writers, what's something that you feel like they get wrong the most with Purdue football?
4: I don't know if there's a lot they get wrong, necessarily. I mean, maybe that's a cop out. I think it's more just the and I think a lot of Purdue fans will recognize just that you get the Oh, Purdue. You know, it's like, oh, when they're going through the season preview or review, oh, yeah, there's Purdue, too. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the athletic department, the waning years of Tiller and then with Hope and then Hazel, you know, they kind of put themselves in that position where, hey, oh, yeah, they have a football team, too. We forgot about those guys. And, you know, some of it was deserved, especially during the Hazel years.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, real quick, like, I feel like when I'm talking to Purdue fans um, it's not like the hope years were great either, but they really seem to focus on the Hazel years. Was it just more of a surprise on how ineffective he was as a coach? You know, he had that one year at Kent state where, you know,
4: he goes in and kind of puts together this amazing season for them. I think, if they did, they got to a high bowl. If I'm kind of remembering, I'm not a Kent State expert by any means, but I want to say they got to a pretty major bowl. Um, and then you know he's coming in. We think, oh wow, if he can do that at Kent State, what's he gonna do at Purdue? And he comes in. He has Danny Etling. You know he secures him as a quarterback commit. And he comes in and he's got a couple of good wide, young wide receivers. and We think, oh this is gonna be pretty good. And just it was a disaster.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So maybe it was just more of a surprise than anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and like we talked a little bit offline, you know, I, I will admit it. I, I thought that was a great hire for Purdue. Um, and, and I remember telling people like he very much concerned me as an Iowa fan, you know, that what he could turn Purdue into, yeah, maybe that just sums it up more than anything. Was was yeah. the surprise, lack of success? And,
4: you know, I'm guilty as charged. I may have put a goofy Benz in the bill of one of my hats just to do that,
1: and <laughs> you know, hey, he, that he, may, he I may I may not have, have that,
4: I may not have that hat anymore. So you know.
0: <laughs> All right, so we will uh, change and focus on the 2021 season now. Uh, so we'll start out with what excites you the most about the 2021 season version of the Purdue Boilermakers.
4: Well, if you're thinking about 2021, I guess it can't be any anything else other than David Bell, right? I mean, Rondale's gone to the NFL. He's with the Cardinals now. So instead of having to wonder about, you know, how are we going to get the ball to Rondale and Bell, now it's just Bell. And he has the ability to get up and get the – you know, he does – as athletic and strong as Rondale Moore was, Bell is strong and athletic. He can go up and get the ball over defenders, uh, turn in some amazing catches. It's crazy. And then I think behind that, you know, we saw Horvath start to run the ball a little more effectively last fall, uh, first couple of games. So hopefully that continues to develop more. Um, so if we can get that where defenses aren't just seeing the pass is going to come every single play and get that going a little more. Hopefully the offense
0: is going to be a little more powerful this this fall. As a as an Iowa fan, every time I hear David Bell, I get shut <laughs> on my spine. So thanks for saying his name about seven times there. I'm gonna have a hard time sleeping tonight. Um. But uh, and, and and we have said multiple times on the podcast, even last year, uh, we felt that David Bell would be a higher draft pick and a better pro than Rondale Moore. I, I mean, Rondale Moore went a little bit late in the draft. I think you'll you'll see that that probably winds up being being true. David Bell is a is a true superstar.
4: Yeah, with the ability to go up and get the ball in a little more length. Yeah, probably might be a little more attractive.
0: Yep come direct he'll
4: he'll go after this season he won't be there for a fourth year so so just to just to calm your fears
0: for (laughs) 2022 one one last game (laughs) four quarters is hopefully all we have to deal with good to know um all right so that kind of folds into the not so good part what concerns you the most about the 2021 purdue boilermakers um it's defense i mean you've got third
4: I don't even want to say coordinator at this point, you have a third set of coordinators in three separate seasons, consecutive seasons. Now Like um, was that yesterday, day before they decided they're going to have not two co-coordinators, but three co-coordinators. And I just wish they would, I don't know what Brahms deal with is, is with that. Cause when Holt was there, he was a co-coordinator. And then I think Diaka was also a co-coordinator. And then now we've got, you know, three, and they've decided Lambert's going to be the defensive play caller. I wish they would just say he is the coordinator. Um, I don't know if it's egos or just on paper, they think it looks better. But, you know, it's you know, it always comes down to he Kind of, there's always one guy. You know, if you have a committee, there's usually always one guy. Just say he's the one guy.
0: And yeah, then we, um, we recorded – earlier on this topic a lot of what i said you're saying now so it's it doesn't make a lot of sense to me it doesn't mean it, it it won't work but it's it's a different take on on how to do it i'll say that much and i guess the upside would be it's still not bob Diaco,
4: <laughs> so I mean, I, took oh. a, I live in Lincoln, so I took a lot of heat when that hire was made oh boy. Yeah. a year ago. People that are laughing is- at me. Good, good luck with that. I'm going, yeah, thanks. That is and Back of your new- mind. Maybe it'll work there. Didn't work. <laughs> Did not work.
0: <laughs> that is a unique set of jokes when you are a Purdue football fan living in, in Nebraska land after they hire Bob Diaco, yikes, I, I, it would have been tough to go to the, uh, to go talk to too many coworkers or, or buddies at, at that point, I would think.
4: And, and I think they more, you know, it was kind of a chuckle, but it was more like sympathy. Like why, why did they do that? Why?
0: Right. Like, I don't, I don't I, know. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, I don't pretend that, that Jeff Brom knows less about football than me. He, he knows he has more knowledge of football in his big toe than I do. But yet, I knew my podcast partner knew you don't hire Bobby Diaco to be your defensive coordinator. It it was one of the weirder decisions that that you would you would hope as a Purdue yes. fan.
4: And so, yeah, I mean that's concerning. Um, secondary in that same situation is concerning. They do you know up front. I mean, we've got George Karloftis, so he's a he's kind of a generational Good. talent at end. Yep. Um, His brother's coming in. I wouldn't be surprised if he sees field starting time at linebacker. I know he was sought after by a few schools, you know, power five schools. So um, secondary still questions. So we'll see how that goes. Defense is little, little iffy, but that's also why the
0: changes were made. So hopefully they hammer that out. All right. So that gets to our final question. overall feeling record you know you don't have to be specific you can be specific what are you thinking out of the uh 2021 purdue Boilermakers?
4: bankers you know i was kind of looking it over you know they start out they have a national game on fs1 oregon state actually is coming out to purdue to play it's a night game um first two games if they go well I mean, that could mean some decent things. And by decent, I mean seven and five area. I'm not talking, you know, oh, they're going to win the West. That's, you know, with Wisconsin and Northwestern and Iowa and all those teams ahead of them, that's not going to happen. But if it doesn't go well, if they don't, show well against Oregon State and if they go out to Yukon they're going to Yukon. Yeah, I don't so understand how that We're, schedule is made, <laughs>
0: but there, there's not to- much I like about Purdue's schedule because it's too uh, you're, I mean you're already playing nine Power 5 level teams in in Big 10 play. We all every team does that. Mm. To add two more Power 5 teams and then the one patsy you get, you not only have to hit the road, you got to go pretty far across the country to play. It's, it's odd to me.
4: Yeah. So if, if that game doesn't go well, it's going to be a long fall. Right. Um, if those go well, I mean, it could be six, six, seven, five, maybe. Um, but yeah, if those first two go poorly, it's going to be rough. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I don't know, you know, their teams, I don't know what to make of, you know, Illinois yet. I mean, it's still talent level they had, but now you have, you know, Brett's in there. So, you know, how is he going to turn things around? I don't know what to make of, frankly, of Nebraska yet. (laughs) Defense will be strong. I don't know what their offense is going to look like. So it's going to be an interesting fall. I think somewhere five and seven, seven, five. But if they start off slow or they trip up bad, it could be worse. Yeah talking major uh major heat for brahm after that
0: yeah yeah um where are you on the uh heat on brahm scale as, as it currently stands
4: he's got to show something this year yeah um his recruiting is kind of it seems like it's tailed off like i think from my perception is he he got you know he got rondale he went and secured rondale and got him to come Great. And then he got Bell to come. Good. And then it's tailed off since
0: then. So. Yep. And I would see. say the trick is we need to see it more out of just one position on offense. You yes. know, it just seems like the recruiting wins are too focused in a couple areas. It's got to start spreading it around.
4: Yeah. And his reputation, you know, before he got to Purdue was the quarterback whisperer. And we haven't seen a lot of that yet either. I mean, Blau, he is able to bring a lot out of, but not, not in. I mean, O'Connell's looked better. Uh, Plummer's serviceable, but nothing. I would say that you could look at them and say, "Oh, they're going to get you a win just on their arm or their talent." Yet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I would say. I would say he's done very well with uh, these quarterbacks, considering maybe the talent level the quarterbacks have. So I would give him credit with that. But on the other side, recruiting the, the quarterback talent to come in is also a big yeah. part of of you know the head coach, especially when he's got such a quarterback focus like that. It's been kind of surprising to see that there hasn't been more success on the recruiting trail with that. Yeah, I agree. Okay, all right, Greg, that wraps it up. I really appreciate you joining the podcast. Anything else you want to add before we go?
4: Uh, just thanks for having me on. Thanks for asking. This right. is fun.
0: All right, all right. That's Greg McMahon. Please please follow him on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Excellent interviews. So thanks again, Supercrawl with Wisconsin, Alex with Indiana, and Greg McManus with Purdue. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I am Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big podcast. We will talk to you soon.